Blockbuster. Space junk. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is episode 100. 100. All right, we made it to 100 episodes. We are super excited. Um, so we wanted to do something a little special this week. So Anthony and I actually went back through our whole backlog of episodes that we recorded up to this point, and we looked for updates on things that we've talked about in the past. So that is the theme of this week's episode. All of our stories are somewhat recent, um, but they're all updates on, you know, more or less recent. <laughs> recent <they're> all, <laughs> But they're all updates on things that we've discussed before. So I'm going to start us out. So fun fact, uh, before we actually officially launched our podcast, we recorded a few episodes as like practice, mm-hmm. like before the official launch, I guess. Yep. And um, I was looking at one of the notes from one of those, which <laughs> I thought it was from one of our episodes. And then I realized like, oh, this was one of our like practice beforehand. And it was about, um, I think, SpaceX launching a, a space junk cleaner apparatus thing into space. Oh, yeah. I think I actually remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to see if anything has happened recently with like space junk cleaning efforts, <laughs> and I did find an article about that topic. So my first story today is a space update. This is from theleadsouthaustralia.com, and the headline is, Getting Junk Out of Space, an Australian team is using machine learning to tackle the threat of space junk wrecking new satellites. Research to tackle the growing need to find, capture, and remove junk from space is advancing at the world-leading Australian Institute for Machine Learning in Adelaide, South Australia. Machine Learning for Space director Tatjun Chin and his team... Such a specific position. (laughs) I know. I love his title. Like It's just (laughs) the best job title I've ever heard. Machine Learning for Space director. Um... Tatun Jin and his team have won a $600,000 grant to continue its work in detecting, tracking, and cataloging space junk. Uh, This space junk project is based on developing a space-based surveillance network and tackling the growing challenge of crowding in space. Space junk is created by satellites continuing to orbit once they run out of fuel or run out of propulsion or their technology becomes obsolete and they are no longer required but remain in space, orbiting the planet. Associate Professor Chin and his team Uh, was one of the first to apply an effective machine learning approach to the problem of estimating the position of space objects from an input image so that they can be removed. So he said this, in order to remove a piece of debris from another spacecraft, such as by casting a net, harpooning, or grabbing on with a robotic arm, it is vital to estimate the position and orientation of the debris relative to the approaching spacecraft. And then I immediately was like, wait, they're going to harpoon the stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, think of a cooler phrase in the English language than space harpoon. That's, I don't know, it's pretty up there. It's pretty, it's pretty far up there. Yeah. Um, he also said that they're waiting on the results of an application to partner with the giant European space agency to find novel ways to approach and remove junk from space. So they're just going to keep coming up with more technology. That's his whole job. So. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's scrub a dub dub up there. It's <laughs> Getting messy with a harpoon. <laughs> with harpoon, <laughs> how do you how do you take a bath? <laughs> All right. Before my first story update, I have a, fun, a couple of fun facts. Uh, 
So every, people who have been listening for a while know that there's certain topics that come up again and again on Nick Mac News. Yep. Uh, and so as I was going through my notes, I was making note of the first time we talked about some of these things. Uh, so believe it or not, the very first time that we talked about E. coli, <laughs> <laughs> specifically E. coli and romaine lettuce, was in our very first episode. <laughs> Oh, was it? Back on May 11th in 2018. Wow. Yeah, so that was that was one of the first one of the first <laughs> stories. And All right. Yeah, again, long-time listeners will know that has come up multiple times since. Unfortunately. And also other foodborne illnesses. Mhm. It's a I don't know, for Salmonella. some reason we really Yeah, oh yeah. Other things. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Those two. Uh and also another early milestone, our first bear story. Woo! Was an episode two. <laughs> what really? Oh May, my gosh! Uh, from I May eighteenth, twenty eighteen. So we've been talking about bears for almost the entire <laughs> run of the podcast, and honestly, probably in a couple of those pre uh, pre released episodes as well. Probably. Um, but anyway, the first story that I brought is from. It's a follow up to a story we talked about in episode eight, which was uh, like I think in June of twenty eighteen, and. Uh, do you remember, do you remember the flamingo that escaped from the zoo and was like flying around the United States? Yes. Well, I found an, an, another story about him. Uh, unfortunately, this story is actually quite old. It's from 2019. So it's about a year after we initially reported, but, uh, this is an animal update. This is from KWTX.com. <laughs> Some of our most common sources this this episode. Uh, African flamingo on the lamb for 14 years spotted in Texas. Uh, and again, this was in 2019. So hopefully they've spotted, spotted them since. I don't know. Um, the lanky pink bird has been on the loose for nearly 14 years, 15, after escaping <laughs> the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita, Kansas. The flamingo had barely checked into its enclosure at the zoo when it escaped. Zookeepers hadn't even had a chance to clip the bird's flight feathers, obviously. Yeah. Uh, since then, it's been spotted around the country, most often around the Gulf Coast, but as far as, far north as Wisconsin. Like, this bird wow. is everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> um, the bird is known as number uh, 492. Because that is the number that is on, a, I think, a band around its leg. That's how they keep identifying this flamingo. Also, the fact oh. that it's the only flamingo in the wild <laughs> uh, in <laughs> these in places. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was seen in Texas, again, just in time for Memorial Day weekend in 2019. Um, and the pink visitor could be around for years to come because flamingos typically live 20 to 30 years in the wild or up to 50 years in a zoo. So there's wow. still probably, he's still probably out there somewhere. I don't know if he is, I don't remember if it actually said the bird's gender, but anyway, uh, the bird is still, well, as of 20, as of May 30th, 2019, still out there, uh, hopefully still still out there, but there haven't been apparently any newsworthy sightings recently. Do you know what flamingos eat? Shrimp. How does he get shrimp in Wisconsin? That's a good question. I'm sure there's other things they can eat. But like the yeah. shrimp is what typically gives them the pink coloring. I know that. Oh yeah, I you know what I didn't know that. I've read that yeah. on a zoo placard. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure what he would be eating in the wild. Probably other types of like fish or yeah, like crayfish or something. Wow. Well, I am rooting for this bird. I know. 
They, Super impressive. Yeah, they said they also said in the article that they're trying to come up with a proper name for it because calling it number four ninety two seems very impersonal. Yeah, um, but they have not yet named it. Fred. Yeah one of, one of the suggested names that I did like was Carmen, as in where in the world is this is Carmen <laughs> the flamingo? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that that works really well. So yeah, awesome. That's an, that's an update on our fine feathered friend. Okay. This next story is a throwback to episode 11, where we learned about the giant hogweed plant. Do you remember that? Isn't that the, like, not the toxic one? It's like a weed that grows really tall, and the sap on it can make you, um, your skin really, really sensitive to the sun, and so you get, like, sunburns. yeah. 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 (laughs) So. (laughs) So a happy, good, feel, good story. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to call this a health update. Let's look at what's going on recently with this strange and dangerous plant. So first I found, I actually found two stories, recent oh. stories about this. All right. So one of them is um, actually from the UK. It's from the scottishfarmer.co.uk. I want to say .com, but it's Again, a website. One of our most common sources. Um, <laughs> And the headline there is, Giant Hogweed Gets Going Early. So according to that article, um, robust new growth of one of Scotland's most troublesome invasive species, giant hogweed, has been found more than a month earlier than it would usually appear this year. Uh, Keith Gallagher of ground maintenance firm Complete Weed Control found fresh giant hogweed growth of a foot or more alongside the remains of the previous season's plants. And some of the plants he found were nearly 12 feet tall. Also, this plant can, has been seen up to 14 feet tall. Oh, my we, God. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't yep, realize it could get that big. Yep. Uh, the giant hogweed is a relatively common non-native invasive species that was first brought to the UK from Central Asia in the 19th century. It is often found along rivers, streams, and waste ground, and its sap can cause burns when it comes in contact with human skin. So that's from that, that article. All right. Okay, and then I found this story, which is also recent, um, in, from the U.S., uh, and this was from greatlakesecho.org. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the headline here was, New York winning the battle against giant hogweed. Oh, this one good. has a little bit of a, a little more better outlook. Message, yeah. um, so according to this one, they mentioned how this plant could grow up to 14 feet tall. And it can burn and scar people. Um, they said it's on its way out in the state of New York. Um, Daniel Waldhorn is the giant hogweed information line coordinator. But like, what are these titles? We've got some great titles <laughs> this episode. Um, for the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. He says his agency tracks the locations of the plants so they can go to those sites every year and kill the new ones that have grown. So apparently giant hogweed sprouts in bunches and the seeds are really heavy, which means that they don't like spread far and they often grow in the same area every year. So if they can track like where they're growing, they can just go and hit those areas with their like efforts to, to get rid of the weeds basically. That's good. This also mentioned that giant hogweed originates from Asia. Uh, They said it was brought to the U S as a showpiece for gardens because it's, it has this like flower thing on the top of it too. So it's, and oh. it's like really tall. So people probably thought like, oh, this is a really cool plant. Like it's yeah. <laughs> big and it has these flowers. It's really cool except for the part where it um, burns you. <laughs> yeah, except for that. Uh, and then they mentioned uh, it produces a sap which causes third degree burns or blindness if it gets into your eyes. 
Um, so fun. you got to be careful there. Yeah. Um, don't, don't look directly into the hogweed. For fun, I also looked up the scientific name of the hogweed plant, and it's Heracleum mantigazanium. And I wanted to share that with everyone. Um, so <laughs> in conclusion, if you're trying to get out of the house nowadays and go for a walk in the woods or something, just be careful. I don't know if these grow in your area. Um, and I have a picture. Yeah, I guess just don't rub you, up on any large plants. This is this is what it looks like. Oh, it is very large. Mm-hmm. It's not very pretty, though. I don't know why you'd want it in a garden. No, I don't know. But it does have like that white yeah, thing at the top. I don't know. It looks like a weed to me. It does look like a weed. It does look like a giant weed. Like giant hogweed is a it's good name for name. this. Yeah. yeah. doesn't look much like a pig, but you know. Yeah, I don't know where two the hog of, part of, came two from. Two out of three in bed. But yeah, so just be careful if these grow in your area. All right. So back in episode 44, which was March 8th, 2019, we talked about the second to last blockbuster closing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is an entertainment update. This is from movieweb.com. Uh, the last blockbuster trailer brings a much needed shot of video store nostalgia. And this is from March 17th, so not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a new trailer has been released for The Last Blockbuster, an upcoming documentary about The Last Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> because the last one is still going yeah. at this point. Um, So while the vast majority of the retailer's stores have been closed for years, one resilient location in Bend, Oregon, has the distinguished title as the last ever blockbuster store. The documentary will look at that store as well as the rise and fall of the video store giant. Um, We not only get a look at the people keeping the store alive in the streaming era, but many of the famous faces who were brought in to reminisce about a bygone era, such as comedians Doug Benson and Ron Funches and Clerks director Kevin Smith. So they have a lot of celebrity cameos, which is, I think, pretty typical for a documentary of this type. Um, At its peak in in 2004, not 2014, sorry, Blockbuster, uh, Blockbuster (laughs) had more than 9,000 stores worldwide with more than 80,000 employees. And so 9,000 down to one. Um, and finally, the tagline for this documentary reads, The last blockbuster is a fun, nostalgic look back at the era of video rentals and the story of how one small-town video store managed to outlast a corporate giant. The film follows the manager of the world's last remaining blockbuster video, Sandy Harding, as she navigates the difficult task of keeping a video rental store open in the era of Netflix which I can only imagine is very difficult to do. Yeah. So I guess at this point, at least, you have the novelty of being the last one going for you. Right. So, yeah, that's... I was assuming that that was a huge factor in why Why it's still open. around. It might... Honestly, but, it's probably one of the only reasons yeah, they're still but open. Like, you know, you have to hand it to them. if, they, Like, through all the other stores closing, they weren't the only one left. So, like, during that period, right. how were they able to survive? It's interesting. Yeah. So... If you want to know more about The Last Blockbuster, now you're going to have an entire documentary to occupy yourself with. It did not say when it was coming out, so uh. I guess that would have been useful information. But, <laughs> well, yeah. I would totally watch that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. And before we move on to the next story, a couple more fun facts. <laughs> uh, again, long-time listeners, well, actually not even that long, <laughs> long of long-time listeners will know our uh, slight obsession with the Cats movie. <laughs> 
Um, and the first time that we talked about the Cats movie on the show was in episode 48. It was actually quite a bit, of, quite a bit ago, uh, all things yeah. considered. That was April 5th, 2019. So quite that several, was a months, while ago. several months before it actually came out. Yeah. Um, and also following in the vein of talking about bad CGI, we first talked about the Sonic movie uh, just four episodes later in episode 52. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since we've started the podcast, we've done a handful of stories on updates to airplane technology. Yes. Um, so I'm particularly thinking about the flying V plane design, if you remember that. <laughs> um, from That's from episode 57. How could I ever forget? And also an update to middle seat design we talked about in episode 63. All right. So that inspired me to look up, okay, is anything actually happening with these designs <laughs> and or what's new in the airplane design world? And it turns out there are some updates so this is a technology update. So apparently every year, some organization puts on this thing called the Crystal Cabin Awards. Um, and it celebrates innovations for the inside of aircraft cabins. <laughs> so it's not like plane design necessarily, it's but it's like only the, the, the interior. Okay. Um, and I found this article recently where... Um, these people were just talking about the finalists for this year's awards. Um, and this was just posted recently and it, it came up because the people that came up with the flying V had a design in the finals of this award. Oh, okay. Um, so I found this on actually, another UK website, um, the, the points <laughs> I don't know, but sure. it, it was just like an overview of what the finalists were. So I wanted to go through what they were. Some interesting stuff. All right. Um, okay. So one of them is, an eco-conscious meal tray. Um, the tray avoids single-use plastics by using food-safe materials made from coffee grounds, algae, bamboo, and rice husks. And here's the photo. All right. So that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, then there's this other one that's on the theme of like green things. To save water usage on a plane, someone came up with a design where like the sink water after it's used it gets like transferred into the toilet and is then used to flush the toilet instead of like those being two separate. And then that is back to the sink. And then, <laughs> <laughs> that's, and then that just goes back to the sink and it's just one circle. And it just all So you only need like a couple of bottles of water and you're, and you're just done flight. for the whole, for everyone on the flight. Yeah. Yep. Don't use the no, that's, not, <laughs> that's not what happens. No. Instead of having two right. sources, it's yeah. just one. Makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> um Okay, then this next one is like a seat design update. Someone came up with an idea of taking like this section of three seats and making like a fold down bed in it so that if you, it's like your family sitting there, you could like sleep on the on the seats. So I have a, I have a picture of that. Okay. Oh, okay. If you want a spoon with your whole family, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the picture. The picture is like three it's like a uh like a, a man and his wife and their child it looks like yeah and the, and then the, they're all spooning each other <laughs> I mean, hopefully his wife I... <laughs> hopefully everyone's on good terms with each other um okay and then and then the next one this is the the flying v design people um they came up with a design for some for this like collapsible bunk bed that can also be in the economy class section. So it's still along that same vein of like being able to, to have a bed in economy class. Mm -hmm. Um, so that 
you know, that's not only reserved for first class, basically. Okay. They didn't have a photo of that one for whatever reason, but right. that was on the list. I can, I can picture a bunk bed. Um, this one was fun. Someone came up with an idea of having it. They called it a coffee house cabin where it's like chairs with little like tables that you could use for if you're like working on a flight. Oh, that's fun. Isn't that cool? That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So the way that they did it is that the the chairs like rotate inwards Mm -hmm. and then there's like a fold up table so that all the fold up tables create this like center long kind of table structure and everyone's seated like towards it. And then when it's like take off and landing, they can like turn to face the front of the plane in their chair. Yeah. That's so clever. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then the last one I had highlighted here was um, someone made an airport wheelchair system to address the fact that um, like ever shrinking airplane seats create increasing barriers for passengers with reduced mobility. Mm -hmm. So she came up with a system that's this like multi-purpose seat that they can be using in the airport and then be easily transferred into a seat in the aircraft too. So they, wouldn't have to have as many like seat to seat transfers and stuff. And it'd be easier for people with limited mobility to, to, to get onto the plane and off. Um, that one didn't have a photo either, but yeah. So those are some of the things in the, the, the finalists and the, um, the contest winners were supposed to be announced this week, but I couldn't find that. So I'm wondering if it it might've been like postponed or something. Yeah. Yeah, But that is, again, that's called the crystal cabin awards. And they do that every year. That's so prestigious. (laughs) Yeah. And this last update is coming to us from episode 59, back in June of 2019. Um, do you remember talking about how it was illegal for kids to make a lemonade stand? <laughs> yes, I do remember that. I was upset about that. <laughs> well, there's a, I found another story from this month, or uh, last month, uh, that is kind of an update on it. I don't know if it necessarily makes me feel better, but uh, this is a food update. This is from IllinoisPolicy.org. <laughs> <laughs> we found the best websites this yeah, week. Yeah, I feel like every single story has come from a, from a source we've never had a story from before. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, the headline is, Senate Committee Passes Haley's Law So Regulators Don't Sour Young Entrepreneurs. Yeah. Okay. They tried and failed. Uh, but yeah, this is from March 6th of this year. Uh, a lemonade stand is a fun introduction to entrepreneurship for many kids across the state, this referring to Illinois. Um, but for one Kankakee girl, that's the name of a town, I think. Not, oh. a, not a weird slur. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't realize until saying it out loud, it kind of sounds like I'm insulting somebody. That? Yeah, it's um, probably a town. Yeah, it's a town. It's K-A-N-K-A-K-E-E. It's mm. a lot of K's in there. Yeah. Um, but for one girl in this town, it quickly turned into a lesson on dealing with government regulators and is now about to make a state law that helps stop that interference. Uh, on March 3rd um, of this year, uh, 11-year-old Haley Martinez testified before the Illinois Senate Public Health Committee in support of Senate Bill 3459, or Haley's Law. The bill, filed by uh, State Senator Patrick Joyce, would ensure children under 18 could run a lemonade stand without a permit or license and would not be liable for any unintended injury. It's just... Well, that's good. I know. It just, it makes me so mad that we even need to do this. But I know. anyway, uh, everyone's... 
Uh, Haley says, everyone's sick and tired of all of us getting shut down for our lemonade stands, and I think it's time to make a change. <laughs> I agree, Haley. I agree, too. Haley was running her uh, Haleybug lemonade stand, Aww. adorable, in 2019 to raise money for her college fund with the help of her mom, Iva. Shortly after being profiled in the Kankakee Daily Journal, health department officials paid the 11-year-old girl a visit and told her to close up the stand or face fines. So she was featured in, like, a local newspaper, and then they, like, shut her down. It's just so... Uh, it's just, just messed up. It's just, like, where are your priorities? Do you do? have something better to do? That's not hurting society, The okay? answer is yes. Yes, you do have something <laughs> better to do. Anyway, Illinois is one of 14 states that do not require permits for lemonade stands, so they actually already had a... Like, they don't require a permit already. Oh. Um, this is according to Country Time Lemonade, who was also featured prominently in the original story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but SB 3459 would ensure that local government does not try to stop children from selling on private property or in public parks. So I, I guess this is just kind of reinforcing it, mm. or maybe that it, maybe it's just that explicitly you didn't need a permit before, and now they're explicitly saying you don't. Like, that like, not only do you not need a permit, but you can't be shut you down can't be for shut that down reason. for not having one yeah. if you're a minor. So, uh, the article also says, well, and this is them kind of editorializing, but I agree. While health and food protections are important, there are more pressing matters to occupy public health departments than checking out children's lemonade stands. Yeah. And I would strongly agree with that. Uh, same. Leave same. the kids alone. Let them have their lemonade stand. They're not hurting anybody. All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. 100. Ready, set, go! Okay, I found this on UPI. This was posted today. The headline is, Remains of 90 million year old rainforest found near the South Pole. Oh, wow. How cool is that? That's really, that's, I was about to say, that's really far down there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the, the farthest. South Pole. <laughs> yeah, um, so according to this... Some 90 million years ago, a temperate rainforest grew near the South Pole. Scientists recovered fossil traces of the ancient rainforest from seafloor sediment cores collected near West Antarctica's Pine Island Glacier. Uh, seismic data suggested the sediment layer was unique, but researchers weren't expecting to find the remnants of a Cretaceous forest. Uh, but they did. Um, <laughs> they didn't know that that existed before, and they just kind of happened to find it. And they published the results of their findings this month in the journal Nature. I'm sorry, not this month, this week. Um, they're hoping that these findings will help climate scientists perfect the models designed to predict the effects of today's human-caused climate change. Huh. So, and then it goes into, like, some more details about, like, the history of Antarctica and right. all the theories about, like, how the land and temperature has changed over time, et cetera. But, uh... That's wild to think there was ever... A forest of any kind down there. I know. That just, you had to. What, what was well, it like at the equator then? Like, was it just scorching well, hot? This or, is like. I don't know. Oh, I don't like, know yeah. Was the, the equator even more hot? Or. Well, what about. The there was a whole a ice age at one point, yeah, right? Like, know. when did that happen? I don't know. This is 90 works. million years. Like, the ice age was like after that, I think. Yeah, I thought right? the ice age was in like the last 10, 20,000, wasn't it? I don't know off the top of my head. I'm very bad with remembering like yeah, the, the timeline dates of history like that. So I'm not sure. But 
yeah, they're saying this is like really, really long time ago. So like, yeah, yeah. maybe the, it was just everything was way warmer then. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it would be like a linear scale, like over the surface of the entire planet. I just, I have no idea how yeah, that works. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works either. <laughs> it's super fascinating though. That is, I don't know, just, ah, it's cool. I love that kind of stuff. I found this on thenextweb.com. <laughs> the headline is, YouTube Shorts is Google's answer to TikTok, says report. Apparently, YouTube is launching something called Shorts. Okay. Um, yeah. Since TikTok exploded in popularity over the last year or two, like, I don't know, I last don't, year I don't or two, yeah. I, some YouTubers have made a transition over to the platform. According to a website called The Information, it seems YouTube is looking to reclaim some of those creators by launching its own TikTok rival feature called Shorts. And The Information, that is such a vague, menacing title. Um... <laughs> According to the report, Shorts will live within the regular YouTube app and will include a feed of brief videos posted by users. Thanks to the company's stockpile of licensed music, users will be able to use those as backing tracks for their videos, which might give them an edge over TikTok, because that's kind of TikTok's whole thing, is making little short music videos or whatever. Right. I honestly don't know. I don't really use TikTok, so I just know of it, kind of, but... TikTok is the first app where it's like, I'm officially old now because I do not care to know what this is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or like, to learn it. Maybe or... that's me too, because I feel like seems... I was like, I feel like we were right on the cusp of Snapchat being relevant to our yeah. generation. Like it was still okay. Like we were on the, we were on the, like the tail end of the age group that that appealed yeah. to, I think. And then that kind of fell off and now it just, I don't TikTok need, is, I don't I'm not, I'm not going to use TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I've, I don't even understand it. I so I'm like, I'm old really apparently. I've, I've watched a couple of them, but like only in the same way that I've watched other funny short videos before. So, and I never watched yeah. them on the app. I don't have the app. Anyway, uh, TikTok launched in China in 2016 and was released worldwide in 2018. The app allows for short looping videos from three to 60 seconds long, echoing the days of Vine. I do miss Vine. Vine was, Vine was fun. Vine was fun. I never made a Vine, but I liked the Same. concept. Yeah, I liked the idea of Vine, and there were some really, really funny Vines. Yes. Also, the fact that like you were limited to six seconds, I think, was like spe- made it special compared to TikTok, mm-hmm. whereas like, TikTok's going to be up to a minute long. It's like At that point, like you're not restricting yourself at all. People got really right. creative with the six seconds. Yeah. Um, since launch, the mobile app has become massively popular, becoming one of the most downloaded apps in both major apps, app stores with a particular stronghold among teens. Duh. Uh, so, yeah, apparently YouTube wants to make the next TikTok. Okay. So, every time that you say YouTube shorts, I immediately think of like a piece of clothing. That's like, like the YouTube with a YouTube logo. Yeah, like the YouTube logo with a pair of shorts or the YouTube logo on a pair of shorts. That's what I keep envisioning that's when you say YouTube shorts. That's definitely what I pictured when I first saw the headline, <laughs> so you're not alone. There. So, like, I don't know if they are going to be able to I correct that. I think it's a great that, name. But I also don't like a plural product name. That's like for a singular product because it's like shorts is this thing and that just feels gross to say. Yeah, you're right. I don't. So points off for that. <laughs> I mean, I guess they feel like they, I don't know why, I actually don't know why they feel like they have to compete. Like doesn't YouTube still have like millions YouTube and millions of everything? YouTube supports short videos like, already. Like, yeah, like why can't you just make a short video on YouTube now? Right. You can. Yeah. And so, like, in making, I guess maybe 
the idea of making the short videos featured is what they're hoping will draw people back. But I don't know. Just but what? The, I, I don't think the novel. Okay, okay. With with the. <laughs> Let me just say, the disclaimer is that I don't really use TikTok, so I don't fully understand it, but I thought that the novelty was that they made it easy to make your your video into like a music video. I thought that was the point of it. Yeah, I assume it's something like that from what I've seen like of TikToks, but I don't actually know. Okay. I don't know either. So. Any teens out there? Wanna... <laughs> any te- hey, any you teens kids. listening to this? Just like, <laughs> Hello, let us know. Kids. <laughs> like, this is like our, ep- our 100th episode. Is when we We're going to be 100. listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like in a year from now, we'll be using TikTok and then we'll look back on this and be like, wow, we didn't know anything. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for listening. If you've been listening for a long time, we super appreciate you continuing to listen to our podcast. We have so much fun making this every week. Um, and we hope we can continue doing it for as long as forever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, here's to the next 100 episodes. Yes. Uh, if you like Knickknack News, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And all 100 episodes are available on all those platforms Woo! as well. If you want to go back and listen to some others, though, it is a news podcast, so <laughs> yeah, it's hard so. to say how much value you'll get out of that. <laughs> I don't know. Most of the stories are relevant regardless of the time. Anyway, you can follow us on Facebook at <laughs> facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at News. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Knickknack Knack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is, is episode, episode 100. 100. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try that again.